This is Gravy with the Movies and Hip Hop Podcast. Basically, we're doing all things television, film, and hip hop. But anything black culture content. Let's get into it. Right, let's get into Mo Better Blues, Spike Lee's jazz classic from 1990. It's my favorite, favorite movie of all time. And it took me a while to come to this conclusion because I got a lot of favorite movies. You know what I mean? You got Terminator 2. You got Matrix, original Lion King, um, Forrest Gump, Fifth Element, The Revenant. Those are just some of my favorite movies. But Mo Better Blues, to me, is just a perfect, perfect movie. And it's kind of underrated, too. Uh, even though it's shot beautifully with incredible acting, it's a very underrated Spike Lee film. And I know a lot of Spike Lee fans who haven't seen it. I know a lot of Denzel fans who haven't seen it. Rarely when I ask people if they see Mo Better Blues, does it come with an enthusiastic yes? Spike Lee's catalog is so dense with some real transcendent highs. It feels like his most complete film at times. It was a curveball. I don't think the public knew how to receive at the time. I mean, this is right after Do the Right Thing. Do the Right Thing was explosive. It was transcendent. It was controversial. It was new. It was fresh. It was hip hop. It was in your face. It was public enemy. And then Mo Better Blues is just a jazz love story. I look at this film as the movie that Spike Lee always wanted to make. After making the films, he kind of had to make. He came in the game with his iconic and daring womanist tale, She's Gotta Have It, before dropping the bomb that would change the film game forever, Do the Right Thing. With an insurmountable clout he gained from this film, he was able to make his ode to jazz, a love birthed in him from his father, a, a jazz musician himself, who also scored the film with the likes of Branford Marcellus. With his trusty DP, Ernest Dickerson, running down the lane like Pippin, Spike Lee encapsulates a perfect black aesthetics through a jazz scope that really hasn't been matched since. And a shout out to Ernest Dickerson, Spike Lee's uh, longtime uh, cinematographer. Um, you may know him for directing the classic Juice. He was cinematographer for Do the Right Thing, cinematographer for Malcolm X. Um, and then basically the last... Uh, 10, 15 years, he's been doing a lot of just uh, TV work, directing a lot of TV. He directed uh, some episodes of Dexter, um, Lincoln Heights, um, CSI Miami. Yeah, so Ernest Dickerson's just been staying busy doing his thing. The film is about Bleak Gilliam, a saxophonist and band leader of the Bleak Gilliam Quartet, played by the illustrious Denzel Washington in peak form. He's a player stuck between his love between two women, challenges that come with loving your music and self more. Wesley Snipes plays the relentless Shadow Henderson, the second sax player, who not only wants to be a star, he wants Blake's girl too. But there's more to it than just that. I just love the movie for f so many superficial reasons. For one, I just love seeing Denzel as a smooth player, laid back. You know what I mean? Smooth jazz player, something. It's just a beautiful character that he's kind of almost perfect for. I love seeing Wesley and Denzel just on the stage together. How often do you get to see Denzel and Wesley on the, on the same screen? I mean, if you think about the times, the early 90s, they're probably usually competing for the same spots. Or let's be honest, uh, Wesley's taking a lot of the, the roles that Denzel turned down. 
here we are. Here, this is our music, right? Jazz is our music. Black music. Now here's people. We will go and watch some crossover uh, stuff that's created by other people, but we don't even come to see our own, man. Listen, right? Listen, listen. But the jazz. You know, if we had to, if we had to depend upon black people to eat, we would starve to death. I mean, you've been out there. You look, you're on the bandstand. You look out into the audience. What do you see? You see Japanese. You see, you see West German. You see, you, see, you know, Slavobic, anything. But it's, it's, except our people, man, it makes no sense. It incenses me that our own people don't realize our own heritage, our own culture. This is our music, man. That's bullshit. Why? It's all bullshit. Everything, <laughs> everything you just said is bullshit. Come on. Yo, Blake, out of all the people in the world, you never gave anybody else, and look, and I love you like a stepbrother, but you never gave nobody else a chance to, to play their own music. What are you you complaining about? I'm talking about the, the people never come. That's right. The people don't come because you grandiose motherfuckers don't play shit that they like. If you played the shit that they like, then the people would come. Simple as that. Wesley has a, has a run in the early 90s to mid 90s. That's, that's pretty incredible. But just seeing uh, Denzel and Wesley on the stage together, just go back and forth riffing. It's just beautiful. It's so beautiful. Thank God for Spike Lee, who blessed us with being able to see these two phenoms right before their primes. Spike Lee casts himself in this film again, which he's uh, kind of been uh, known for, especially in his early films. He doesn't do so uh, as much after the 90s. But his character as the giant is probably one of his best characters. Um he provides himself with more nuance than the Mars and Mookies of the past as he plays Bleak's uh, manager slash friend who's dealing with a gambling problem that's having him evade uh, some goons. And uh, Sam Jackson plays one of the goons. He's a great character. Great early Sam Jackson. Um, just speaking about how Spike Lee's just a, one of the greatest eye for talents the game has ever seen up there with uh, Gucci Man, Dr. Dre, Red Auerbach. This film also has Robin Harris, the great Robin Harris. Rest in peace. I bet not see her naked on payday. Unknown in the black community, especially the older black community. Um, he has his place in the culture forever. He started off dominating the L.A. comedy scene in the 80s. Uh, he rang off a string of black film classics like House Party, Bay Bay's Kids. He's in Do the Right Thing as Sweet Dick Willie. He's in I'm Gonna Get You Sucker and Harlem Nights. And that's just a two year span from 88 to 90. Think about that. House Party, Bebe's Kids, Do the Right Thing, I'm Gonna Get You Sucker, Harlem Nights, two years. Crazy. He was an undeniable meteor on the rise before his passing in March of 1990 before uh, More Better Blues was released the following August of that year. So he didn't even get to be at the premiere of More Better Blues. Film also has uh, Giancarlo Esposito. He's one of my favorite characters from the story. Um, Giancarlo Esposito is kind of known now. Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul. Um, he plays a Sith Jedi in Mandalorian. That's one of my, um, one of my favorite characters. Uh, Moth Gideon. Um, that's so cool. Just where he's come from. Um, just a great, great actor. Great actor. He plays left hand Lacey in Mo Better Blues. He's the pianist who's in a interracial relationship with a French woman. Just a great cast, Mo Better Blues. Bill Dunn, rest in peace. Also one of uh, Spike Lee's go to characters. Um, Bill Dunn's kind of underrated too. Um, he expanded a lot outside of just 
uh, Spike Lee films and black films. But for sure, some of his best characters are Spike Lee films. I really like him in uh, He Got Game. You got the love interest, City of Williams, who plays Clark. You got uh, Joy Lee, Spike Lee's sister. What I like about their their characters is that there's this uh, colorism juxtaposition. It's implied. It's, it's never said. Uh, we know Spike Lee does a lot of uh, commentary on colorism. Um, we see that with his film School Days. We see that with Jungle Fever. It touches it on a lot. So it's definitely implied here in uh, Mo Better Blues. Um, there's this great article, actually, in IndieWire. Um, you can check it out. I'll put it in uh, the notes below. Uh, City of Williams and Joy Lee give a woman's account on the set of Mo Better Blues. Came out 2020. It's a 30 year anniversary article written by Tambe Obinson. Uh, check it out. But basically how, uh, you know, some great tidbits in there. Like Joy Lee was protective, of course, you know, being Spike Lee's uh, sister. And that was really different from City of Williams, uh, Cinda Williams account of being on the set with all these uh these men and i think we just need more stuff of that uh just women's account of hollywood and sets and how they were treated in the 90s where like anything goes these freaking men were just doing whatever they wanted you got the weinsteins running around you got the cosby's running around just doing whatever they wanted um and you could just see how a lot of uh actresses especially black actresses who had short careers are kind of uh get disillusioned with the uh, hollywood now, Joy Lee gives a little quote in the article that I really like, and I'm going to read real quick. I love hanging out in the studio with my father during those recording sessions with the orchestra. I think the score is underrated and was worthy of an Oscar nomination. It's one of my favorite collaborations with my father and Spike and their last. They were in a good place, had common ground then, and had synergy. And I think in some way the film was a tribute to my father, to his genius. Keeping with the cast, let's go back to the top, which is Denzel and Wesley Snipes. I love Wesley Snipes. Early 90s Wesley, it's different. Let's, uh, let's run over Wesley Snipes' career in, in the 90s. It's 89, he was in Major League as Willie Mays Hayes. Probably his biggest role to date. And that was a nice little franchise too with um, Charlie Sheen. He was in King of New York in 1990. He was in Mo Better Blues, Shadow Henderson, 1990. Then this is really, really takes off. New Jack City. Now, New Jack City in 1991 is Nino Brown. That's that could be that's probably his defining character in the black community. But New Jack City is a is a landmark for sure. That's New Jack City is probably a. It's a top 10 black black classic for sure. Probably top five. New Jack City. Um, next year, Jungle Fever goes right back to uh, Spike Lee. Another great movie. Another great, um, another great Sam Jackson performance as well. Boom! Here we go. Then Wesley gets in 1992's White Man Can't Jump, uh, starring across Woody Harrelson, of, of course. Why are you playing Jimmy? Well, because I like to listen to him. Oh, you like to listen? That's what the fucking problem is. Y'all listen. Well, what am I supposed to do? Eat it? <laughs> no, no, no. You're supposed to hear it. Hey, I just said I like to listen to him. No, 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 no. There's a difference between hearing and listening. See, white people, y'all can't hear Jimmy. You, 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 you listen. What the fuck are you talking about? His trouble was white. Ah! <laughs> Get the fuck out of here. Jimmy Hendrix's drummer was not white. Yes, he did. Yo, check it out. See? 
This is a picture. Old damn band is white except for Jimmy. This is a fucking picture, man. This is Air Plus bullshit. Jimmy Hendrix did not have a white rhythm section. Um, written by the great Ron Shelton, directed by the great Ron Shelton. Uh, you may also know him for Bull Durham. Tidbit, the way Ron Shelton writes black characters um, in White Man Can't Jump is really, really not talked about enough. Uh, Wesley in White Man Can't Jump plays Sidney Dean. Uh, Sidney Dean is this, just this great, brash basketball player. Um, epitome of a hustler, black man trying to take care of his family. Lives in the jungle. Vista of no views. How much did uh, White Man Can't Jump make? All right, so White Man Can't Jump in 1992 grows $14 million opening week. So after Wesley Snipes does uh, White Man Can't Jump in 92. Ooh, he does Passenger 57. This is in 92 as well. That's a great year for him. Passenger 57 is a great 90s action movie. Always bet on black. Do yourself a favor and go see Passenger 57. Always bet on black. Tom Sizemore, rest in peace. Tom Sizemore plays a great character in that. Oh, it's so 90s. Wesley Snipes is on fire in the early 90s. All right, boom, let's do that rundown again. So we got Mo Better Blues in 1990. New Jack City as Nino Brown in 1991. Flipper in Jungle Fever, classic. White Man Can't Jump, classic. Sidney Dean, Passenger 57, hood classic. Made 40 mil. White Man Can't Jump made 90 mil worldwide. Demolition Man, 1993. Classic. That's pretty good. He plays like a, a villain opposite Sylvester Stallone in 1993. Sylvester Stallone is still one of the biggest action stars in the world at this time. This is where the wheels fall off for Wesley. 1995. Too Long Fu. Disgusting. Money Train. Mid. Although J-Lo is in a Money Train. She looks bad. Murder at 1600. Uh, that wasn't too bad, actually. I remember liking that. The Fan. Fan 1996. Who's that? Robert De Niro? Oh, that's a Tony Scott? Mm. Yeah, so Wesley's run in the 90s is incredible. Of course, Wesley Snipes kind of dwindles in the mid-90s. And he disappears in the 2000s, of course. But there was a time when Blade started the Marvel franchise runs. You can just go look back and see. Blade was the first... Marvel movie before Spider-Man, before Tobey Maguire, there was Blade. All right, so let's look at Blade in 1998. Production budget of 45 million. It brought in a domestic box office of 70 million. Worldwide box office of 131 million. Made a lot of money. Came back four years later, Blade 2, 2002. Made 81 million domestic box office. 150 worldwide. So it made more money the second time around. It's another success. Might as well go for the third one, the, uh, the trilogy. And that's where he has Blade Trinity 2004. Made 50 million domestic box office, 131 million worldwide box office. So it, it's got a real strong fan base overseas and worldwide. And it's making its money back off that worldwide box office. So overall franchise made about 415 million, almost half a billion dollars as box office alone. So you can't say, uh, you can't even really just look at Wesley Snipes as just like a regular star of the 90s. He's almost a, a superstar behind Denzel, behind Will Smith. 
you can give it to Wesley Snipes as the third most important act, black actor of the 90s. Shout out Cuba Gooding Jr. You could put him in there fourth and check out our podcast on Cuba Gooding Jr. being the Vince Carter black film. I will put Wesley Snipes as a top five black actor of all time. That's how much I hold Wesley Snipes in high regard. Like, what are we talking about here? We're talking about Nino Brown. We're talking about Sidney Dean. You know what I'm saying? We're talking about Blade. We're talking about, we're talking about the man that started the Marvel franchises. We're talking about the first black action star with a trilogy. Put some respect on, on Wesley Snipes' name. Please do. Now let's take a look at Denzel, who plays Bleak Gilliam. Bleak Gilliam is probably a top top five Denzel character for me. Okay, I'm gonna give you my top five Denzel characters. Bleak Gilliam, of course, Mo Better Blues, uh, plays the player saxophonist, John Q. Now, his performance as John Q is probably top two for me. I love John Q, man. The desperate dad doing what we gotta do. Love it. Then I like him in American Gangster. That's Frank Lucas. To me, it's in my top five gangster films, but his role as uh, Frank Lucas is great. What else do I like him in? Ooh, he got game. Him as the dad out of jail, the desperate. Anytime Denzel's gotta be desperate, it's gonna be good. Uh, he got game for sure. That's top five. Malcolm X, we already, we already know that's one for sure. All right, so let's do, let's do Denzel's early 90s. Glory, 1989, gets the Academy Award, Best Supporting Actor. Mo Better Blues, 1990. Ricochet, 1991. Now, Ricochet is some real bizarre early 90s shit, but it's really good. Like, it's really interesting. It's a, it's a nice, like, sit at home, just eat some, eat some garbage food and watch, like, a really good garbage movie. Malcolm X, 1992, Much Ado About Nothing, 1993, Pelican Brief, 1993, Philadelphia, 1993, Crimson Tide, 1995, Virtuosity, 1995, Devil in the Blue Dress, 1995, Tidbit, uh, a house on Devil in the Blue Dress, a scene on there is filmed on my grandma street, Courage Under Fire, 1996, Preacher's Wife, 1996, R.P. Whitney Houston, he got game, nineteen ninety eight. Bone Collector, I love Bone Collector, nineteen ninety nine. The Hurricane, Reuben Carter. That's another one. Uh, he could have got nominated for. Let's see what Roger Ebert said about Mo Better Blues in nineteen ninety. If you know about uh, Roger Ebert, he was a part of the great movie review duo with uh, Cisco. Shout out uh, Cisco and Ebert. Uh, go uh, look that up for you young kids. Okay, so this is what. Uh, Roger Deber says about Mo Better Blues. Mo Better Blues is not a supremely confident film like Do the Right Thing, which never took a wrong step. There are scenes that seem incompletely thought out. Improvised dialogue that sounds more like improv improvisation than dialogue. And those strange narrative bookends at the top and bottom of the movie. But the film has a beauty, grace, and energy all the same. Washington has been seen mostly in heavy dramatic roles. And here, as in The Mighty Quinn, shows that he is gifted at a comedy and romance. Cinda Williams, in her first film, is a luminous discovery. She has presence that seems to occupy the screen by divine right. Joy Lee, in her most important role, isn't supposed to be as flashy, but succeeds in the challenge of drawing our sympathy away from the sex pot and toward the more substantial woman. 
And I like Spike Lee's acting too. He has a kind of off-center driving energy that makes you into an accomplice even when he's marching straight for trouble. More Better Blues is not a great film, but it's an interesting one, which is almost as rare. Okay, so that's the review by the great Ebert. I like how you mentioned uh, improvised dialogue, and that's actually one of my favorite things about More Better Blues, is you could tell there's a lot of freestyling, there's a lot of improvisation by Denzel, by Spike, by Wesley, by Robin Harris, by Giancarlo. It's just some great, great improvisation stuff that you could just pick up. It makes it feel more organic. It makes it feel more real. All right, let's talk about Spike Lee. Spike Lee, one of the greatest directors of all time, for sure. I still think he's the greatest black director. I think he'll be surpassed by Ava DuVernay, though. But in terms of, of impact, he's still the greatest black director. I'll put John Singleton second. Rest in peace, John Singleton. So we are, we already know about Do the Right Thing. So he does Mo Better Blues, 1990. Then he does Jungle Fever, 1991, where he kind of gets back to his controversial ways. A movie about um, interracial dating between two, between a, a black man who has an affair with his uh, Italian secretary and what that means in New York and those times he's just on a crazy run if you think about it if we just start like school days school days is is a good movie but it's not great i'm not a big fan of school days but do the right thing is incredible mo better blues is incredible jungle fever is a great movie then he does malcolm x in 92 beyond incredible with comes back with denzel let me see what that was nominated for so Malcolm X in 92 was nominated for two Oscars. Denzel was nominated for Best Actor, which he should have got. And the great Ruth E. Carter was nominated for Best Costume Design. Uh, shout out to Miss Ruth E. Carter. She just won her second Oscar for Black Panther 2. So you see, she's been doing her thing for a long time. I heard some I heard some some other podcasters, some bloggers saying that they were just pandering to us that uh, Ruth E. Carter got her awards. Nah, she earned that award. She's been doing this. And Black Panther 2 wasn't a great movie in my opinion, but the costume design was incredible as always. All right, let's get back to Spike Lee and what he was doing. So after Malcolm X in 92, then he does Crooklyn in 1994. Crooklyn is not a hit either, but I think it's one of those staple films in the black community. it's kind of a semi-biography on his childhood. Does Clockers in ni- 1995, which is uh, Mackay Pfeiffer's debut. We don't really talk about um, Spike Lee putting on Mackay Pfeiffer, but that's another great black talent he put on. Mackay Pfeiffer would just go on to... Mackay Pfeiffer would go on to be one of the top black actors of the 90s as well. He kind of hits his low too in, in the mid-90s. Get on the bus um, for Little Girls 97, a very important documentary. He Got Game in 1998. I liked He Got Game. That's one of my favorite Spike Lee films. I think that made some bread too. He Got Game only made 21 million. Yeah, that wasn't, that didn't make too much bread, but that's still a staple in the culture. That's a a hood classic. So when you talk about Spike Lee, you're talking about somebody that's not just a great director, writer in his own right. You're talking about somebody who's, Spike Lee is a culture shifter. He shifted film shifted music, shifted sports. 
he was at the helm of black culture for a long time and he really he gets a lot of hate of course as many great black people do he gets a lot of hate um but he put on some of the best black talent that we've ever seen from he didn't put on denzel but he put denzel on some of his best stuff he put on rosie perez he put on sam jackson Bill Dunn, he put on Giancarlo Esposito. He put on John Totoro. In terms of my most favorite, most enjoyable watch, uh, what I feel has the most replay value, what I feel is the most rewatchable, I gotta give it to Mo Better Blues. Do the Right Thing is great, of course, but it's a very intense movie. It's a pretty long movie as well. Malcolm X is a great movie, but same thing. It's pretty intense, it's pretty long. Uh, but he just has a great run of just great, impactful movies. Um, what I like most about Mo Better Blues is that I'm very differently from Spike Lee movies uh, that he was kind of known for in the past or just known for in early 90s in general. Black films about their proximity to whiteness. Um, I kind of like the Spike Lee movies where it's kind of about the the intro relationships of of black people like Crooklyn or School Days or Get on the Bus. Those are his best films in terms of repay value, in terms of he goes on. His range is very different when he's tackling the subjects of just black relationships. I mean, but don't get me wrong. Jungle Fever is a good movie. But in terms of movies you want to just sit home and watch over and over, it's comedy, it's drama, it's a little bit of violence. It's everything you kind of want. It's beautiful music. Definitely something you could watch with a lady friend. Something you could watch with the homies. Something you could just clean up and have in the background because the music is just vibing. You know what I mean? Yeah, Mo Better Blues is one of the ones. Definitely check that film out. To me, it's a top five Spike Lee film. But that's just, you know, opinion on my, my love for Spike Lee. My love for Denzel. My love for Wesley. But yeah, Mo Better Blues. Deep dive. Deep dive.